That's right, here we go. It is another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. I'm Farzine Vesugian. Appreciate all the guys downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast. The NFL season underway. It starts tonight with the Philadelphia Eagles. Starting the season off defending their Super Bowl championship, and it starts off against the Philadelphia, or excuse me, the Atlanta Falcons to kick off the 2018 season. And of course, this reminds me of um, of memories from last year's season opener. Of course, uh, Kansas City going over to Foxborough and pulling off that big upset on the road uh, in the most shocking way to start off an NFL season. Pretty much, the, the Patriots essentially were the worst team in the NFL for what two and a half days. You'll never hear that ever again, so I'm sure everyone enjoyed those two and a half days, and it was all thanks to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who uh, handed the Patriots a loss to start off the 2017 season. Let me say this, and I thought about this this week, because I was hoping for this, and I was calling for this during Super Bowl week. Everybody was expecting the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and I said, you know what, the Patriots win, they obviously get the NFL kickoff game once again. And you have to reschedule that Chiefs game to start off the season. It's, it's, it's the perfect way to do it. The Patriots don't get embarrassed almost ever. And the last t- two times they've been embarrassed in a regular season game was against the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's just a perfect way to start off the 2018 season. But no, not the case. But hey, I, I'm happy with the way things uh, panned out. Uh, of course, Nick Foles, former Kansas City Chief, Doug Peterson also with the Chiefs as an assistant. So... Uh, and of course, the Eagles getting their first ever Super Bowl championship. Uh, something I mean, those longtime Eagles fans there, uh, they got a chance to uh, enjoy that moment. So they will be the uh, team that uh, gets the first uh, NFL home game of the season, and that'll be against the Atlanta Falcons. I'll give you guys my NFL 2018 season preview. We'll go division by division, go over that, and then I'll tell you guys who I think. Will win the AFC, who will win the NFC, and who will win the Super Bowl. So I'll give you guys my final four teams. And then, of course, talk about some of the Chiefs news uh, that took place this week. Uh, Chiefs were very active with offensive linemen this week, believe it or not. So we'll touch on some of those stories there. And, of course, we'll do our first ever preview. First game preview of the season, Chiefs and Chargers. That will take place this week in Los Angeles. Also... One NFL analyst out there has the Chiefs making it to a Super Bowl. A lot of people don't even know what to think of the AFC West, and a lot of people think that the Chiefs might not win the West. There is someone out there who believes the Chiefs are going to go to the Super Bowl. I'll tell you who, and based on what. This person's reasoning, very interesting for that, and I will bring that up in just a few moments. Want to remind you guys, you guys can interact with me in a couple of ways. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That is a Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on there. We will do a Facebook Live. Uh, I decided that we will do a Facebook Live at halftime, and we will also do it after the game. And again, I told you guys my concern. Whenever the Chiefs lose a game, the Facebook Lives are crazy. Everyone's watching, it feels like. Everyone's commenting. Everyone has something to say. But when they win, uh, a few people are still watching, but not as much. And there isn't a lot of interaction, and those videos just tend to be a little bit shorter. I enjoy the Facebook Lives, I, I really do. I mean, look, when they lose, we can have fun with it, at least, at least give it a laugh and whatnot. Uh, but I really want everyone to join in with the Facebook Lives. And I understand people can't make it every single time, but 
Uh, I'd like for a bigger turnout, uh, win or lose or draw. Uh, I, I definitely want to have that with you guys. I'm going to try to aim to have those a little bit shorter than we did in the past. I know we go a little long with those because a lot of people would interact with me on the, on the, on the Facebook live videos. And those are a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm going to aim to keep it shorter. I'll see how it goes. And I'm kind of skeptical, skeptical, excuse me, about halftime. Uh, I, I did say I was going to do it for that Titans playoff game. And then in the moment I decided not to, cause the chiefs were blowing them out at the time. Uh, despite what happened uh, later on, but everyone, uh, you know, I, I just sort of post, uh, at halftime and everyone was asking, where's the live video? And I thought, well, I, I didn't think people would come for a, a blowout win at, at halftime, at least, uh, so, or a, a, a blowout lead basically. Uh, but no, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll just give it a try one more time. Uh, we'll start this weekend and if we get a good turnout, Hey, we'll continue doing it. And, uh, of course, I definitely want to try to go after every game. Definitely intending on doing that. Uh, there may be a couple of times where I don't if I'm out of town, uh, but I'll still be able to see the team on the road. Uh, but uh, we'll give it a trial test this week and see how it goes and go from there. So, again, Facebook.com slash Vesugian. That's the Facebook page. Give it a like and you'll get a notification when I go live. Follow me on Twitter at Farzin21. That is the tweet machine. Give me a follow on there and send me an email at uh, Farzine, excuse me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. I want to start off with the Facebook page. I posted earlier this week, once the 53-man roster was formed and a few other readjustments were made, I asked you guys, what are your thoughts on the Chiefs roster and the team heading into the 2018 season? And uh, I also mentioned I'd read some of your comments on the podcast. Let's start with Alex. He says, the pass rush will make or break our season, or I should say, Bob Sutton. Travis commented and said, is it bad I still want Bashad Breeland? And there was some discussion about that. Jonathan, Jonathan excuse me, said, uh, fingers crossed that Bob Sutton is fired before season's end. I mean, okay, I can see why, but I mean, you, you'd like to not get to that point, hopefully. You hopefully... Bob Sutton can do a good enough job that you keep him. Jamie commented, said, Our defense will keep us out of contention this year. Our offense may be solid, a statement I'm not very confident in, but I don't think it will be able to outscore what our defense will allow to be scored on us. It's simple mathematics, folks. A couple more comments. Enrique wrote, Excited to see the greatest show on grass. Let the bombs drop. Referring to, of course, uh, Pat Mahomes on the offensive side of the football. And then the final comment, Brian said our season is going to hinge on how Sutton calls the defense and the uh, uh, the offense. If it struggles and starts out slow, it could be a very long year. And I, let me just go to that offensive comment by Brian right there. I do think the offense is going to start slow to, to begin the season. I've said this several times in the offseason, and I still stand by that. I think uh, it, we'll get to our, predict, our, our breakdown later with the uh, Chiefs and Chargers as well as a prediction. Uh, this is going to be an offense that's going to force Chiefs fans to to be a little bit patient here. We'll see if if, if Chiefs fans can can accept that for the time being, for the first quarter of the season. But I think after the first four games, this Chiefs offense will be rocking and rolling, and I think Pat Mahomes will do a lot better. He'll go out there, he'll make some mistakes. I think the year under Alex Smith, sure, there are some pros and cons to that, as I've talked about many times on here. Uh, but But I think at the end of the day, uh, this offense, yeah, it will be slow to start. A lot of people talking about Bob, about Bob Sutton now, and I'm not exactly sure what exactly needs to happen for Bob Sutton. And I and I think the front seven is going to be very key here. I, Kansas City does have some good players on this defense. 
You talk about Kendall Fuller. Looked very good in the preseason. A lot of hype from him ever since he was traded to Kansas City. People shocked that the Redskins let him go in that Alex Smith trade. And then you've got two new linebackers, uh, at least uh, from a year ago today. Ragland was on the roster but wasn't playing. Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. That's going to be your new inside linebacking duo. Xavier Williams, the new nose tackle on the team. So you've got some new faces on this defense. A lot of new faces, in fact. And... How can this defense help the Chiefs, number one, get to the quarterback, something they didn't do a very good job of last year, and number two, stop the run, something that they have struggled with for quite some time. And if you can't get to the quarterback, and if you can't stop the run, it's going to be a long day for your defense, and it's going to hurt your secondary no matter how good they are. And this is going to it's going to be very interesting to watch. And look, look at the very first game. It's against the LA Chargers, a team that... Uh, has been notorious for being very good in the passing game, even during some of their bad years that they've had recently when Mike McCoy was the head coach for the Chargers before Anthony Lynn got there. So it's definitely going to be a test early. And I don't know about Bob Sutton, what the future holds for him. I know I know, Andy Reid's very high on him. And I've said this before. I, I listen to a lot of the national radio stations, ESPN, Sirius XM, Fox Sports. Uh, and, of course, you hear a lot of former coaches and players who are part of the media now and a lot of them have a lot of great things to say about Bob Sutton. I know people in Kansas City don't feel that way, and they've even spoken against that uh, when they hear from Chiefs fans speaking against Bob Sutton. But a lot of them have a lot of good things to say about Bob Sutton and just what he's capable of. And listen, Bob Sutton's done some great things in Kansas City. It should not be forgotten. Look at how the team started in 2013. They weren't 9-0 and because Alex Smith and Dwayne Bowe were hooking up in the end zone every single game. No, not at all. The team started 9-0. Jamal Charles did some great things, but that was more so the defense. And you generally don't hear that when a team starts off 6-0, 7-0, 8-0. When you see a team that remains unbeaten for so long, you you almost hear them every time talk about the quarterback and how great they are and how much they've helped the team be undefeated. That really wasn't the case to start things off. It was the defense. And Bob Sutton had a huge hand in it, and everyone praised Bob Sutton until that game against the Colts in the playoffs where they blew that big lead, and of course, another blown lead in the postseason against the uh, Tennessee Titans, Uh, you know, obviously shutting down the Houston Texans, getting that first playoff win in 22 years for the franchise, and then playing the Patriots on the road, allowing 27. I I mean, look, I'm not saying, you know, it's an excuse, it's the Patriots, uh, but at the end of the day... Having a one-possession game and allowing 27 to be put up on the scoreboard from Tom Brady's offense, I mean, that's that's better than what a lot of people are, are usually capable of. And then, of course, that uh, loss to the Steelers a couple of years ago in the playoffs. The defense managed to hold its own. They forced a red zone interception, and they did not let the Steelers get to the end zone in that game. So... Uh, you know, the, the, it's easy to point the finger at Bob Sutton for one or two really bad games in the biggest stages. Uh, but at the end of the day, and again, I'm not defending Bob Sutton. I thought last year was a kind of a weird year. Why was Justin Houston in coverage so much? What was the issue with that? And I'm not exactly sure what that game plan was all about. And I just really hope that this team learned from its mistakes and... They spent this offseason saying, look, we did some pretty damn dumb things last year. Let's figure that out. 
let's not do that again and let's just execute and do what we've done such a great job of defensively for so many years. Even before this coaching staff got there, this defense was doing a lot of damage on opposing quarterbacks. So there is that capability of this defense doing well. A lot lot of different players here, a lot of new faces, and I know Ron Parker's coming back, but still a fairly newer defense with a lot of new faces, but this defense can still get it done. They really can, and it it does start with the coaching. It does. So we'll see what Andy Reid and Bob Sutton have worked on this offseason, especially ever since the schedule came out in April. You know that you're going up against Phillip Rivers and the LA Chargers, and after that, you've got Ben Roethlisberger, two really good quarterbacks that you're going to be going up against to start the season back-to-back, and you need your defense to come through because if if Rivers and Roethlisberger, if they chuck up 30 points to help their respective teams, you better hope Pat Mahomes can play like Tom Brady. Otherwise, uh, you're, you're going to be off to a, a very rough start to your 2018 campaign. So I can understand everyone's concern with all of that and where people stand, uh, more so on the defensive side with Bob Sutton. This could be a make or break year for Bob Sutton. We'll see. Uh, I, I don't have any suggestions. I don't have any ideas for who could be the new defensive coordinator. I'm sure if Sutton struggles, that will be a hot topic as the season comes closer and closer to an end or early in the offseason. But uh, that is something that we'll, uh, we'll definitely be, everyone's going to be keeping a close eye on to start off the season. I wanted to bring up uh, this interesting... I don't watch a lot of NFL Network. I'll have it on the TV TV sometimes, but uh, they have an analyst by the name of Cynthia Freeland. She is... I don't know what her exact title is, but she's a data science person for NFL Network. Whatever you think that is, take a guess. Data science is what she does. She says that the New Orleans Saints will defeat the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. She says the Chiefs will have a very good season, but, quote, will narrowly suffer a loss to the Saints. Well, she said the Saints will narrowly beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. If she's predicting the Chiefs to go to a Super Bowl, I'm all for that. Now, you might be wondering, what are her credentials? Is she accurate usually with these kinds of things? Last year, she said the Patriots will beat the Vikings. Now, the Patriots, I mean, that's not a hot take. Everyone, 99% of football fans will just pencil in the Patriots as AFC champions. Uh, Maybe I do that on this episode of the podcast when we do a preview. We'll see. Uh, But she had the Patriots. That, That was kind of a gimme there. But as far as who she had from the NFC side... She actually had the Vikings, and they were one game away from the Super Bowl. So take that for what it's worth to you. Uh, Using her data science methods, which I know absolutely nothing about, and I'm not going to really do any research on this because I think at the end of the day, it could be just an enticing title to get fans more interested in all all of the games and more specifically some of the analysis that you hear from some of these pundits. But uh, Cynthia Freeland has the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl and suffering a close defeat to the Saints. Again, take that for what it is worth to you. Before we talk about some of the big news with the Kansas City Chiefs this week, uh, Chiefs running back coach uh, Delan McCullough was recently featured in an ESPN E60 special where the story was about him, and I haven't seen this yet, but I've heard about it, 
the story was about him looking for his biological parents and he found them in a place where he never would have expected. And that's really all I know as far as the plot for his story. I, like I said, I've yet to see this. I don't know the full story. Uh, what I have heard is a lot of people have said that you must watch this without reading any of the written versions of this or, or just reading any spoilers that are out there on social media because it really is an intriguing story. And all of the E60s, 30 for 30s, football lives, they're all very interesting, I'm sure. And I'll admit, I don't watch many of the E60, foot, uh, a football life, 30 for 30. I've seen a couple here and there. I probably should watch those a little bit more. Uh, but if it piques my interest... It's generally because it involves my team. Like, I've seen the 30 for 30. Uh, I've seen a couple of 30 for 30s. Uh, but the ones that uh, I definitely was interested in and wanted to make an effort in seeing was the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, uh, where uh, Josh Swade brought, brought the rules back. And another one by Josh Swade, where he uh, actually tried to bring Sung Woo back to Kansas City for the Royals World Series in 2014, which I was briefly on. I was briefly on that. for. I don't know if I ever, ever mentioned that on the podcast. I was briefly on ESPN 30 for 30. Uh, so, uh, uh, I, I can say that's happened to me, but uh, again, very brief, by the way, it's not like, uh, you, you, you gotta make sure you don't blink. It's one of those kinds of things. But, uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I am on there for just a, a moment, a half a second to be exact. Uh, but yeah, if it involves some of my favorite sports teams, I'll watch it. Uh, but, uh, for those who did not know, and if you want to see this, just search Delan McCullough on ES, uh, Delan McCullough ESPN E60. I'm sure it'll come up on Google and uh, like I said, I'll check it out. Uh, I'm going to try to look it up this week uh, sometime uh, during the weekend before the Chiefs game. And I'll give you guys my thoughts on that sometime next week. And, um, and uh, like I said, I've heard a lot of great things about it. So I'm sure it'll definitely be something that will be worth talking about uh, on uh, on the podcast in the near future. A couple of notes with the offensive line for Kansas City. First bit of news, the Chiefs release offensive lineman Brian Witzman who uh, started some games for the Kansas City Chiefs, but instead they claimed uh, center Austin Reeder off waivers from Cleveland. He was a seventh-round selection for the Washington Redskins in 2015, coming out of South Florida. Started 36 straight games from 2012 to 2014 for uh, his last couple of years as a collegiate lineman. Spent 2015 on the practice squad. Tore his ACL early in 2016, so he's yet to play at this point. And in 2017, he did play all 16 games. For the Cleveland Browns. Originally made the Browns 53-man roster this year. But after some of the readjustments that were made. Due to cuts that were made elsewhere. He was placed on waivers on Sunday. And the Kansas City Chiefs decided to pick him up. And uh, the the, uh, corresponding move to that was letting Brian Witzman go. So you've got uh, a guy in... Austin Reader coming in. You've got Cam Irving, who's a very versatile guy, and I'll get to him in just a moment because he's been involved in the news ticker lately because uh, he signed an extension. But you've got a guy in Reader who has some experience as uh, as a player and someone who, who who can add some depth to this team right now. And what what do the Chiefs see? What does Brett Veach see? What does Andy Reid see in this guy? We don't know exactly yet. There are a lot of things coaches and, and GMs and scouts see that we don't necessarily see. Uh, eye to eye on or we don't know exactly what they're looking at so surely I mean these are guys uh, as we all know they're more than qualified to to make these moves and they know what they're looking for especially a guy like Andy Reid who's been around the game for a long time and Brett Veach I think a lot of people would agree by now everyone's uh, trusting in the things that he has done uh, in his what just a little bit over a year as a GM here in Kansas City so uh, this is another move I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in it's one that 
people don't know a lot about. So we'll see what the Chiefs do with Reader as he is now on the Chiefs 53-man roster after they let go of Brian Witzman. And I mentioned Cam Irving uh, just a moment ago. Uh, he got a, a contract extension, two years uh, worth up to $15.7 million. Kind of depends on how much he plays. Uh, so his availability will be very key for that. Uh, Therese Paylor tweeted that it includes a $6.45 million deal in guaranteed money, making him one of the highest paid swing linemen in the NFL. Again, that was posted by Therese Paylor earlier this week. The thing about Cameron Irving is, and he was acquired uh, last year, one of the very first moves that Brett Veach made when he became the general manager of the Chiefs was acquiring uh, Cam Irving. And the thing about Cam Irving, yes, he's a very versatile guy. We haven't seen a lot of him so far. He's ha- he's had his first full offseason in Kansas City. And like I said, I'll say this with any player that comes to Kansas City, when you're playing under Andy Reid, it's expected that you will reach your potential, and I think that's something that we, we've yet to see with Cam Irving, but now that he's had a full offseason, uh, this is a guy who is expected to do well uh, now that he's had all of the time with OTAs and training camp and whatnot and should be a starter to open up week one for the Chiefs. But to hand him this contract uh, at this point, it feels early, but I mean, gosh, it just seems like everyone's getting a contract earlier than we may expect. So obviously the Chiefs feel very confident in Cam Irving if they're giving him not just a two-year extension, but an extension worth $15.7 million, close to $16 million. Uh, that's definitely a very bold move, and that says a lot from the Chiefs side of things that they're very confident in this guy going into the 2018 season. They wanted to lock him up for the next couple of years before the 2018 campaign even got underway. All right, now generally, I would start this part of the podcast breaking down the Chiefs game, previewing that matchup, but this podcast is going to be a little bit different, of course, because we're going to do our NFL 2018 season predictions. I'll give you guys my quick breakdowns of all eight divisions who I think will come out victorious in all of them, and I'll give you guys my final four AFC Championship matchups, NFC Championship matchups, and the Super Bowl matchup, who I think will win. And hey, I think it's only appropriate that we start off in the NFC East going with the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. They'll get the season kicked off underway tonight against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this a day later, you'll know if the Eagles will be 1-0 or 0-1, maybe 0-1. I don't think that's ever happened before to start off a season. But nonetheless, uh, the, they will have their first game underway if you're listening to this a little bit later. But the Eagles obviously surprised a lot of teams when Nick Foles took over. And he'll be opening up the season for the Eagles. Carson Wentz still injured. And listen, I expect him to continue to do what he did last year in the playoffs. Doug Peterson has great personnel, has a great coaching staff, even with Frank Wright gone. And I think the Eagles will continue to contend again in 2018. Listen, a lot of people thought Doug Peterson, that the hiring was a terrible move. Nobody even expected him to be a candidate for the Eagles. And there were several more candidates out there. Great start in 2017, not the finish they wanted, or excuse me, in 2016, but last year in 2017, everyone knows the story, just how well they did, and obviously got to the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, and surely they can do it again, and I think they'll be challenged this year a little bit by the Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott suspension out of the way, no drama there, the Cowboys at Allen Hearns, it feels like the Cowboys have every reason to go up from their 9-7 season. 
They really do. And I think that's going to be key. With Dak Prescott still under center for you going into his third year now, I think this Cowboys team is going to make a lot of noise in 2018. And they're going to be a team to watch out for. The New York Giants, I'll just say this. They are always a hard team to predict. You never know which Giants team shows up. You never know which Eli Manning will show up. But hey, look, you got Nate Soldier as a new tackle. You drafted Saquon Barkley, OBJ, Sterling Shepard. Uh, they'll be his key targets. The defense needs to get better, though. They really do. That's my biggest concern. Very similar to the Washington Redskins. I, I think their defense is going to be a concern. But hey, look, Alex Smith, very familiar with him, of course. He will do well in Washington. I, I think he's going to do some things differently than Kirk Cousins. Uh... And he's, he does well with tight ends. He's got a familiar face in Vernon Davis there, which is going to be nice. We'll see what Adrian Peterson does as he tries to keep his career going, but I don't know if it's going to last a whole lot longer for him. Going to the north, the Packers. Yes, I think the Packers are going to win, but Minnesota ran the division last year, and Detroit was just a little bit better than Green Bay and Chicago, but that's going to change. Aaron Rodgers, you know he'll be poised to do better uh, than ever after that injury he dealt with. Losing Jordy Nelson is a blow to the offense, but listen, if you have Aaron Rodgers, you'll do just fine. You will. Looking at the Bears, offense is still a big question with Mitchell Trubisky, but look, Matt Nagy, smart offensive mind as we know, and Khalil Mack just got there. So I think the intricacy of this defense has changed because Mack is there and he's going to make things a lot easier for the defensive backs in Chicago. And that's exactly what elite pass rushers do. They make mediocre defensive backs look even better, and even better defensive backs look uh, like Pro Bowl guys, and that's going to bode well for the Chicago Bears. The Vikings, listen, Kirk Cousins should be a great addition. Yes, they had most the most destined story last year, especially after that playoff win against the Saints. I think Minnesota will be good again, but the Packers and Bears are just going to be even better. They're going to improve from last year for sure, and they'll be the top two teams in this division. The Lions might not do so well, though. Might be in the... Bottom of a very competitive division, and that's why I have them last. Even with Matt Patricia, a very good defensive-minded guy as their head coach, I I just think their defense is going to hurt them a lot. They're going to be a liability. As great as Matt Stafford is, the Lions are going to struggle, and that defense is going to hold them to the bottom of the division. Going to the NFC South, the Panthers, I have them winning this division, just edging out the Saints. I do think, however, this could be a division where you have three teams that make the playoffs, and all three of them could be double-digit win teams. Cam Newton helped the team rebound quite a bit in 2017 after a disappointing 2016 season. Very good offensively, and with Torrey Smith acquired this offseason in that trade, I think it's going to boost that offense and help them improve. Looking at the Saints and what they had last year in Alvin Kamara, I know people didn't like that he edged out Kareem Hunt for the Offensive Rookie of the Year, but uh, I can understand both sides of it. He came out of the blue midseason and was big for the team. They're heavily relying on him because they only have two running backs on the active roster right now and seven wide receivers, three tight ends, obviously going to be pass-heavy with Drew Brees. He's going to be coming back for the team. They have a good secondary on the defensive side. Their front seven is going to be tested quite a bit, though, in 2018. Looking at the Falcons, I have them in third place, but it could they could easily be in first place, though. Matt Ryan and that Falcons offense, not as dominant as they were in 2016. One of the best scoring offenses in NFL history, but still very good. The defense is what I'm concerned with the most, and I think that's going to hold them back a bit in this division, but still going to do enough to make the playoffs. I just think their defense is average at best. The Bucks. I don't have much to say about the Bucks. Jameis Winston is suspended to start the season. Only won one divisional game last year and one road game last year. Tampa Bay is still a work in progress as it's in a very tough division with three rivals. Again, likely said, uh, likely going to 
make it to the playoffs, but at the very least, you'll have uh, all three of these teams probably finish above 500 unless they deal with a lot of fatal injuries. Going to the NFC West, the last NFC division, the Rams got a lot better during Sean McVay's first season, winning AP Coach of the Year award. Jared Goff was great. Todd Gurley was a stud. And this defense now has Marcus Peters, Akeem Dalit, and Ndamukong Sue, full of some egos. But hey, defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, he's, this isn't anything new for him. He's dealt with that in Dallas before, as we know. The 49ers started slow, went winless for a while, and then undefeated in the final five games to finish 6-10 and with Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy G cashed in with a lot of G's, despite playing only five games. Uh, the 49ers, obviously, they believe in him big time. So there's there's some pressure, but we can see Kyle Shanahan finally implement his offense. And, uh, you know, when he had his high-scoring offense in Atlanta, which I alluded to a moment ago uh, when he was there as the OC, now it's time to see that offense in play now, uh, the offense that he wants. Richard Sherman, big addition for sure. Maybe not the same Richard Sherman he once was with the LOB, but at the end of the day, I think he can bring a new style and attitude to help this defense improve. Speaking of the LOB, his former teammates there, the Seahawks, this just isn't the same Seahawks team we saw go in, into the Super Bowl back-to-back years. Camp Chancellor not playing. Earl Thomas just returned and is still very upset. I'll got, get, get into that a little bit more. Word was this offseason that the team's confidence went down when Bevel, the former offensive coordinator, called that passing play at the one-yard line against uh, the the Patriots at the Super Bowl, and obviously that led to the loss. Lots of pressure on Pete Carroll to turn this team back into the dominant team it once was, and that might be a very tall order, even for a great coach in college and in the NFL for a guy like Pete Carroll. And last place in this division, I have the Arizona Cardinals. Sam Bradford will start over Josh Rosen to start the season. There are some talented players for him to work with, But at the end of the day, regardless who the QB is, I think this offense is going to do well under Mike McCoy, former offensive coordinator of the Broncos, former head coach of the Chargers, and had some good quarterbacks there that he's worked with. There are some notable players on the defense, by the way. Patrick Peterson, Chandler Jones, Corey Peters, Marcus Golden, Antoine Bethea, Trey Boston. A lot of great players there, but can they work well as a unit? And if they can, maybe the Cardinals will do just a little bit better than I initially have, uh, have them, at least in this prediction here in the NFC West. Let's go over to the AFC side and start with the AFC East, the Patriots. Everyone wants to talk about Julian Edelman's suspension. When Gronk was unavailable, the Patriots won a Super Bowl coming back big without Gronk. The, the Patriots once went 3-1 and one when, pa- when Brady was suspended a couple of years ago. So they'll be just fine without Edelman for a few games. As long as you've got Bill Belichick as your head coach, Josh McDaniels as your OC, and... More times than not, preferably Tom Brady, this team's just going to be fine. Better than fine. What am I saying? Of course they're going to be great. Looking at the Buffalo Bills, Nathan Peterman's set to start the season for the Bills. But I think given how he's going to do, I think Josh Allen will quickly take the reins in Buffalo and try to get that system underway and move on with that era for Bills football. I, I, I definitely think Josh Allen has the potential to do well. A lot of rookie quarterbacks this season who I th- are going to be starting as backups, but eventually will make that transition and do well. But one guy not going to start the season as a backup, the Jets. Uh, yeah, and I'm actually going to skip the Dolphins. I'll go back to the Dolphins. I have the Jets in last uh, here, but I think Sam Darnold, he, he'll do some special things. He's going to start off, unlike the other three rookies drafted in the first round, rookie quarterbacks. A lot of people are skeptical of the Jets all around. Very bad defense. And I think for Todd Bowles, he's got a long ways to go with this defense. But offensively, I do expect improvement. You want to keep Todd Bowles. I mean, you you want to have that progress with this guy 
with his with his quarterback that he drafted. And you look at Ryan Tannehill. The progress with him has been very slow. He's going to be coming back from injury. But the Dolphins truly believe in him. They have for a while. And a lot of talented guys around him. Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, Danny Amendola. I love that wide receiver trio. A lot of quarterbacks would love to have that wide receiver trio on their roster. And I also think Mike Feske uh, is an underrated rookie tight end. And I think he's going to be another viable target for Tannehill. But the defense could deal with some inconsistencies. Adam Gase coached Miami to a 10-6 season. His first year went to a playoff appearance. 6-10 and 10 last year. And in year three, there will be a lot of opinions formed. There always are about the third year for a coach. And depending how he does, that's when all the opinions will form and they'll be spewed out as to whether or not people think he should return for a fourth season and beyond in Miami. Going to the north, kind of another easy one here. I've got the Steelers, Big Ben. Listen, he benefits from having big name running backs and Jerome Bettis and Le'Veon Bell. And with Bell sitting out the season, at least for right now, that's not going to be good. But listen... Like most elite QBs, like uh, Rodgers and Brady, even though Rodgers is without Jordy Nelson, Brady's lost key players time and time again, they always do well. And Big Ben's no different. He'll be just fine in the passing game with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. They'll be just fine in the passing game, and the defense generally does very well in Pittsburgh. But I hope that new offensive coordinator Randy Fitcher has a plan for the Steelers going forward since it's likely they could be a one-dimensional offense. The Ravens, they improved last year, and I expect them to do a little bit better. Michael Crabtree resurrected his career in Oakland. Can he continue to do that in Baltimore? That's going to be the big thing that helps the Ravens help compete with the Steelers in this division in the North. The Bengals, listen, Andy Dalton, good regular season QB. He's yet to win a playoff game, and that falls more on Marvin Lewis, the head coach who fell short of a playoff appearance last year. He is 0-7 with the team in the playoffs, but still has kept his job in Cincinnati. And by the way, they've all been wildcard games uh, for what it's worth. 0-7, but still has his job with the Bengals. Uh, kind of surprising to a lot of people. The Browns, listen, they'll finish and last again, but they'll win a couple of games. Todd Haley, former Super Bowl offensive coordinator, obviously a head coach here in Kansas City, and I think that's going to help them out. Josh Gordon is back. Baker Mayfield will start soon for the Browns. They've got to get that experiment going. John Dorsey, we know he's capable of bringing in talent too, and I think that's going to help the Browns in the future. It's got to change at some point, right? It just has to, and I think eventually it'll come for Cleveland. AFC South, the Texans, I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams this year. I don't know what really the generic thought is for the Texans universally, but Deshaun Watson, phenomenal prior to his injury. Whitney Marcellus and J.J. Watt also dealt with injuries on the defensive side. If the Texans can stay healthy, uh, they'll they'll own this division. They will. Bill O'Brien, head coach and offensive coordinator, and Romeo Cradell, defensive coordinator, both former Pats assistants, very good coaches. Houston will rebound in 2018. The Colts, I don't know what to expect from Andrew Luck. He's been gone for a long time, and he's got to learn a couple of new things under Frank Reich, new head coach. He'll still do well, but is it going to be well enough to win the division? Listen, the Colts, they should be one of the top-tier teams in the NFL with Andrew Luck. Remember, suck for luck for, for the while there. Uh, but hasn't really panned out to be great for the Colts necessarily. The Jaguars, they're without Allen Hearns. They're without Allen Robinson. Great wide receivers now elsewhere. Blake Bortles, can he hold his own here? Can he help create stars and other wideouts? Can he duplicate his success from 2017? Better question, can the defense play as well as it did last year? Yes, they allowed 42 points in that playoff win over Pittsburgh, but that early good start the defense had was the essential difference maker and helping the Jaguars get that playoff win and move on uh, to the AFC title game against the Patriots. We'll see what Doug Marone does with this defense. 
in 2018. And the Titans, yes, Marcus Mariota took a huge step back, leading to Mike Malarkey's termination, despite winning a playoff game here in Kansas City. But here's another former Patriot, and Mike Vrabel uh, was an assistant under Romeo Crennel's defense in Houston. Uh, only seven rookies on the roster. No rookie starters on the team. They're relying on veteran leadership to help this team compete. And look, that's understandable. But at the end of the day, I think you'll need to look for some of those young, bright-eyed players. And I think this could be a struggle for Vrabel in his first year as the head coach. And a final one. I saved the best for last. You guys know me. AFC West. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I have the Chiefs winning the AFC West. Still have some concerns with Andy Reid and the play calling. And of course, with Pat Mahomes, how long is his progress going to take? I, I think it's going to be a very short learning curve. He'll still have some mistakes he'll make as the season goes along. Every quarterback does. But I think they'll learn through it. And, of course, they've run the table in the division for the past couple of years and have done very well uh, in divisional games. And I think that's one thing that bodes well for Kansas City in this division. The Chargers, best defense last year uh, in the division in terms of points allowed and most net points among the AFC West, almost took the division away from Kansas City near the end when they caught up, but not enough. And we'll see if they can be able to play well consistently to be able to compete with the Chiefs in the AFC West. The Raiders, uh, I want to put them in third. I don't know. I'm not too confident in them anymore. Khalil Mack was great. The defense wasn't. You lose him, you don't have a defense. The Raiders need to be in a lot of shootouts to win. John Gruden and his mega contract already off to kind of a rough start, but... Amari Cooper, very good wide receiver, add former K-Sater Jordy Nelson. Derek Carr should improve and get closer to his 2016 form. But again, that defense, it's got to prevent them from going as far as they want to. And the Broncos, not sold on Case Keenum, but he has some good targets. And Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, they've been there for a very long time, it feels like. And adding Bradley Chubb to join Von Miller and Shane Ray for that front seven, it can only do great things for this team defensively. Bradley Roby also has that new role as a cornerback. I think he can do some good things replacing Aqib Tlaib. Uh, and I think they'll start to make progress. We'll see what thing, where, where things go with Case Keenum. I'm not expecting the, this to be a very long project in Denver. I just don't see that to be the case. I know he did some good things in Minnesota, but again, I, I just can't buy short-term things like, like the Jimmy Grappolo situation and, and several other examples we could put out there. I'm just not buying it a whole lot. Looking at the AFC Championship game, I've got the Patriots, but I've got them losing to the Houston Texans. That's how confident I am in the Texans. got to stay healthy. That's going to be the key, though. And on the NFC side, I think this might be popular for a lot of people. But I think the Rams made a lot of improvements last year and then this offseason defensively more so. And I think that's going to be huge for the Rams. And I have them winning over the Green Bay Packers moving on to the Super Bowl. So Texans-Rams, that's my Super Bowl. Probably not the most popular Super Bowl prediction out there. But I've got the Rams over the Texans in Super Bowl 53. Let me know your guys' thoughts on my predictions. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Give it a like, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, and email me Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Alright, that's all out of the way now. That's my NFL 2018 season predictions. I would love for all of that to be wrong and for the Chiefs to just take over and dominate. We'll see if they can start that this weekend. In L.A. against the Chargers. Let's let's go over the injury report real quickly here uh, for both teams. Uh, Chargers, only a couple of players on there. Joey Bosa has a foot injury, was limited on Wednesday. 
for practice. And Justin Jones, defensive lineman, has an ankle injury, but was a full participant for L.A. Looking at the Chiefs side of things, uh, I'll get to Eric Berry in a moment here. But Alan Bailey and Reggie Ragland both have a knee injury that they're dealing with. Marcus Kemp and Justin Hamilton dealing with an ankle soreness. All four of them full participants in Wednesday's practice. Eric Berry still dealing with that sore heel and did not participate in practice on Wednesday. A lot of Chiefs fans are concerned. And I, I get it. I am too. You need Eric Berry on your team. And you look at Eric Berry and just what he's been able to do for you. I mean, everyone knows the story. And of course, he's he's got a fascinating story with everything he's done. His battle with cancer and uh, j- just the inspiration that he brings and the attention that he commands. Uh, not just with his defensive teammates, but even from his offensive teammates. Uh, I mean, that that's huge. It really is. But let me just read you some numbers here. I, I looked this up and put it all together. Eric Berry, in total, has missed 41 games. With the Chiefs. The Chiefs record without Eric Berry, 22 and 19. So maybe not as bad as you may have all thought. Uh, this also includes, by the way, week 17 of the 2013 season when the Chiefs rested all 22 starters, when they had a five seed locked up and they could not improve or go down from that spot. Uh, he suffered season ending injuries in week one of 2017 and 2011. And obviously everyone knows about 2014, uh, dealt with a couple of injuries early in the season. And then after the Raiders game, I believe that was week 11 or week 12, uh, it was discovered that he had uh, been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Obviously had to step away from the game of football to take care of that. So a total of 41 games Eric Berry has missed uh, here in Kansas City. I mean, you want to say injury prone? I, I mean, look, season ending injuries twice in week one. I mean, that's 30 games right off the bat. Only played in six games in 2014. And then, of course, he missed the uh, regular season finale in 2013. Which, to a lot of people, would gladly exclude that. Okay, so let's just say 22-18. and Still similar record. You get the idea. In the 40 or 41 games, again, whichever you want to go with, in those games that Eric Berry has missed with the Chiefs, they've been pretty much close to a 500 team without him. And the Chiefs, with all the potential that they have, they're obviously, they don't want to be a 500 team. And by the way, going back to, I don't think I mentioned this, but going back to Cynthia Freeland's prediction, the data science person for NFL Network, I don't know what to call her. But she said that in order for her prediction for the Chiefs to come through, she needs Eric Berry to be available. So I don't know exactly how things are going to go. The fact that he has not participated, at least in Wednesday's practice, uh, I I would have to put him as a doubtful for for Sunday. There was a report that came out that uh, the Chiefs still have him in question. I think they want to remain optimistic with that, but... Realistically speaking, if he hasn't uh, participated in practice this week, I think uh, he, he more likely than not will miss Sunday's game against the Chargers. So that's going to be something that Kansas City's got to deal with. Luckily, they got Ron Parker. He's got some familiarity with Bob Sutton's defense. He knows what to expect. Uh, Kendall Fuller, hopefully he can do some good things. And if the pass rush is there, hey, look, maybe they can make the absence look less noticeable. 
Looking at LA from a coaching staff to kind of start off here, Anthony Lynn in his second year, he's got Gus Bradley as his defensive coordinator and then Ken Wisenhunt as his offensive coordinator. Gus Bradley was a former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars for a couple of years and then Ken Wisenhunt, former Titans head coach as well as the head coach of the Cardinals, Cardinals, former Super Bowl champion as an offensive coordinator with the Steelers, which helped him land that head coaching gig in Arizona and also a former Uh, Pro Football Writers of America, NFL Assistant Coach of the Year in 2013 with the Chargers when he was there for one season. Now he's back in L.A. I was going to say back in San Diego, but the team has relocated since then. He's back with the team. Uh, Been there since 2016, so technically back with San Diego, then moving to L.A. uh, after a short stint in Tennessee. And uh, we mentioned Tennessee letting go of Malarkey earlier. Just some bad luck. With some of the coaching uh, coaching changes they have made the past few years. But we'll see what they do with Mike Vrabel. But uh, the point being, Anthony Lynn, uh, I mean, he's got some some notable coaches in uh, Wizenhunt and Bradley. Guys who have experience as head coaches and are back to their coordinator roles with the Chargers. I mentioned before that Kansas City's defense, they will be tested. How does the front seven do against LA's offensive line? And can they pressure Rivers? How will the new secondary do? Even with Eric Berry there. What will the new duo of Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens look like? And can they limit a guy like Melvin Gordon? And looking at wide receiver Keenan Allen for the Chargers. He can do some serious damage to opposing off- or, excuse me, opposing defenses. And that's something that where the Chargers really need him, need that boost from. And Keenan Allen seems to excel the most on third down. That is when the Chargers do well the most. If you remember, by the way, in the season opener in 2016, the Chiefs rallied to come back from behind and won in overtime. Keenan Allen was on fire in that game, but when he suffered uh, a torn ACL, I believe that's what it was, that ended his season midway through the game, the Chargers never moved the chains once on third down after he left. Antonio Gates, not the tight end he once was, but you can never count him out, and you know that Phillip Rivers We'll always look at him as one of the first, if not second guys he'll look at, at his direction when trying to throw the football. Melvin Gordon, by the way, was a running back who was kind of in the middle of the rankings among running backs in 2017. But you know what? That alone would have been enough to do damage on last year's Chiefs 25th ranked rush defense. Is this defense going to do better against Melvin Gordon? That's going to be the biggest key point and could be a big difference maker in this football game from Kansas City's offensive side of the football, Eric Fisher, and Mitchell Schwartz. They're going to deal with the pass rushing duo of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, assuming he plays. And I think he will play LA doesn't have a strong front seven. And in fact, those are the only two really notable guys and reliable players they have on their front seven. They can make everyone around them better though. And that's always key for pass rushers. They always do that. I'm excited to see the matchup of Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, and Chris Conley up against cornerbacks Casey Hayward Jr., uh, a Pro Bowl cornerback, Desmond King, and Trevor Williams. Three very good cornerbacks against three good wideouts. And I obviously haven't mentioned Travis Kelsey yet. Last year when you had Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, and Tyreek Hill, generally... Two of those three guys would come through and have a good game. And I think this week is kind of going to be similar. I think the wide receivers that the Chiefs have going up against this secondary for LA, they're going to have a hard time against them. I do. I do think that. 
But obviously, Los Angeles can't lock down everyone. This will open up the door for Travis Kelsey to get wide open. And while everyone else is covered most of the time in this game, I think that's where Travis Kelsey will come through and do some damage on LA's defense. And I've mentioned him just once, though. But Kareem Hunt, he's going to be very active, not just on the ground, but also through the air as well. But I think he can have a good game on the ground. LA does not have a strong interior defensive line with Brendan Mabon and Darius Philbon as their defensive tackles. And I expect the Chiefs to have Kareem Hunt run up the middle a lot in this game. And think Anthony Sherman is going to be a key player for the Chiefs as a lead blocker, helping create holes, paving the way in the middle to allow Hunt to pass through. And from that point on, just get as many yards as he can trying to go through that LA defense. It might be one of those kinds of rushing performances where he doesn't have a big game. Maybe he has one rush that goes for 20 yards or more, but for the most part, he'll probably have, uh, gosh, maybe a, a rushing performance where he averages seven to eight, nine yards per per attempt. Doesn't sound like a lot, but I think that'll, that'll help him qu- quietly have a good game. I think that's the kind of running game that you should expect from Kareem Hunt in this in this matchup here. And I think that's going to be one big factor in Kansas City. I think both teams are going to use their rushing attacks. Uh, although I do think uh, if I just say who's going to pass more and do well, obviously I think the answer is going to be Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. Whereas Pat Mahomes, he's going to be learning things as he goes along. This is going to be his first true test, his first true regular season game in the NFL. So that's going to be very interesting and kind of fun to watch for Pat Mahomes. This is the part where I give you guys my prediction. I want to do this every podcast. And I know uh, doing this uh, in releasing it Thursday mornings, we won't get every prediction. But NFLPickWatch.com, a very cool website. They gather all of the predictions from all the national pundits, from ESPN, Fox, uh, Sporting News, uh, all, all the radio stations out there, um, the Pro Football Focus, Bleacher Report, SB Nation. They basically get as many national pundits as they can, they track down their predictions and they will uh, put them all together and give you a percentage of how many uh, people think, uh, a percentage of how many people think that a team will win. 77% of national pundits so far from the ones who have put down their predictions so far say the Chargers will win this game. I'm going to go the other way. I think Kansas City will win to start off the season. It's not going to be a very pretty game. It's not going to be good the entire time. There are going to be some ugly moments for both teams, in fact. But who's going to come out better? I think it's going to be Kansas City. This is a team with potential that will go through a learning curve early to start off. And I think they'll be very competitive after the first quarter of the season. We'll obviously know if that's accurate or not once this game is over. But that's where I stand right now with the Chiefs. I think they win this game 20-17. to I think you'll get a couple of touchdowns from Hunt on the ground. Uh, I think Pat Mahomes' first career touchdown, passing touchdown will come a little bit later. But for now, you have the running game. And I think Travis Kelsey, you can use him as a guy who helps you get to the red zone. And you use your rushing attack to get through that weak defensive line for... LA and get into the end zone that way. So I've got the Chiefs winning this one 22-17. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and my email Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. The biggest story in the NFL, Khalil Mack traded 
to the Chicago Bears and all those Raiders fans that said I was spreading fake news. I haven't heard from them. I haven't heard. From, by the way, I, I posted the picture of that um, that thing. It did reach three thousand retweets. I mentioned that last podcast, but man, uh, everyone's still shocked by this. And you know, th- th- this this kind of leads me to my next topic with Le'Veon Bell. So I'll kind of mix these two together. But look what happened earlier this year when the Chiefs traded Marcus Peters, who was probably their best player last year. And now the Raiders, they said, hey, look, we can't come to an agreement with Khalil Mack. We don't think there's a future. We're going to go ahead and trade him. And by the way, I do think the first-round draft picks, I think they'll they'll be beneficial later on. Right now, it just doesn't feel like it, though. Remember when Pal Gasol got traded to the Los Angeles Lakers and everyone bashed the uh, Memphis Grizzlies for that trade? Well, eventually, it, it helped them out. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies became a more competitive basketball team uh, once they started using those draft picks. So... Sure, in the moment, it feels like a really terrible trade for the Raiders, but maybe they find somebody. You may not find another Khalil Mack. Very hard to come by. But they'll find some bright-eyed players. There's no way they miss with all of those first-round draft picks. They have a lot to work with. Maybe they trade and try to get a veteran guy on their team. Who knows? But lots of versatility in the next couple of years in the draft for John Gruden and the Raiders. And you look at Le'Veon Bell. Listen, Marcus Peters got traded. Khalil Mack got traded. Uh, Akib Tlaib got traded, uh, all from the AFC West, by the way, uh, defensive guys. But what about a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who really has helped Pittsburgh's offense become three-dimensional and opens up the passing game even more? Great running backs do that for an NFL offense. Le'Veon Bell is going to sit out the season to start off, and this could possibly impact the Chiefs because he may not be available in Week 2. Now, we'll see if the Chiefs let another backup running back look legendary for one night but at the end of the day there's an opportunity for the Chiefs to steal one on the road next week I know it's a week away we don't want to get into that too much but from the Steelers side of things this is just never an ideal situation to be in when you use a guy when he does so much for you why is it that teams are afraid to pay him up that's what I want to know and I understand this part of it salary caps are tough to deal with it really is and I don't know what the NFL can do about that if they can expand on that a little bit more in upcoming seasons that way teams can spend more on their players but man I, I mean Le'Veon Bell he really is a big asset to that Steelers offense and I think they should definitely open up that that checkbook and give him the money that he's asking for I I, I think it's going to hurt the Steelers to start off the season uh, in the first couple of games we'll see how that pans out but for the most part I think they'll be fine but there will be a, a point in time in the playoffs where not having Le'Veon Bell that is where I think will hurt the Steelers the most and speaking of being hurt Earl Thomas he is back with the Seahawks after ending his holdup but he feels very hurt still very unhappy with everything in fact he posted on Instagram saying that the disrespect is real and is not going to be forgotten you think high school kids are open and honest with their drama on social media I mean some NFL players are no different at all they'll go on social media and they'll I mean, they'll, they'll let it be known how they're feeling. So, years old Thomas doing the same thing here. And I mentioned earlier in our NFL breakdown, the Seahawks are not the same team they once were. Not sure what it's going to take to get them back to the way how things were a couple of years ago. But, man, uh, this is a team that has lost its way. Uh, it, crazy to, to believe in a couple of years. Look at the Royals. The Kansas City Royals are kind of like that, too. Uh, but, look, Earl Thomas, more likely than not, could be his final year with... Seattle Seahawks and a team like Kansas City if they struggle defensively this year and if they need to get another safety 
Well, I think Earl Thomas is a guy you could look at it. And I mentioned before, elite safeties are hard to find. Eric Berry and Earl Thomas were in the same draft class. And getting them together on the same team, hey, that'd be a pretty cool story to have in Kansas City. Uh, they uh, The Cowboys did offer a second-round pick, but reportedly that was turned down by the Seahawks. And so Earl Thomas is back with Seattle. We'll see what the future holds. And if Kansas City is desperate for another safety beside Barry, and hopefully he can be healthy and, and stay on the field, you could have two elite safeties at this point next year, hopefully. Let's go out of bounds. I know we've got a lot of Nebraska fans listening to the podcast. Tough start to the Scott Frost era because it technically didn't even start because of bad weather. Uh, canceling the first game of the season. It was on delay, and for the longest time, they, they thought they could get it to start, but never was the case due to the weather there. I, I know of a friend who was at the game, and it never started off, so everyone was just stuck wondering what was going to happen. But Nebraska's athletic director wants a 12th game after Week 1's cancellation uh, due to the weather. Uh, they tried to reschedule for Sunday morning, but that, for whatever reason, fell out. So the Scott Frost area will start a week later. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how this will affect Nebraska in terms of RPI and, and how they're going to be looked with their conference and all. But I think he makes a point. I know it's going to be a non-conference game, but still, I mean, your overall record, that, that definitely is, is going to play a role. And I can understand wanting that. You always want to have every opportunity to prove yourself. So I get the idea that Nebraska's AD wants that 12th game at some point this year. We'll see if they can reschedule that in one of their bye weeks and try to make that happen. Uh, I think it'd be good. It'd be nice to see. And hey, look, people uh, spent money on their tickets. So they certainly would love to see that happen at some point this season. Uh, one thing I want to t- touch on, not a sports-related topic, but thought it was funny to, to mention, uh, a Florida home was damaged as a crane tipped over, cut through the roof of a house in half, and a construction company uh, that was responsible for this, uh, a spokesperson said the machinery, quote, likely fell over because, uh, and by the way, the article was written horribly, uh, because the ground under it was wet. They eventually removed the crane after about six hours later off the house. But, man, imagine, I mean, the, the biggest thing that you can make a purchase on is a, is a house. That's your home. And for a crane to supposedly be dealing with wet ground conditions and to tip over and just take out a house's roof, uh, I mean, that's just brutal to see. It really has to be. So, uh, no, no one was hurt. Fortunately, but gosh, I mean that uh, surely a lot of hearts were shattered to see to see your house's roof split in half. I don't even want to know what that's like. Who knows if anyone was home? Probably somebody at least to at least oversee the construction uh, going on at their home. But gosh, that that'd be so tough to come home to. I, I don't even want to know what that would be like. Not one bit. Final topic in this segment: uh, going back to college football. Our good buddy Herm Edwards. Uh, dominated in his debut as the head coach of Arizona State University uh, to the point where I guess he had too much fun with it. The Sun Devils were up 42-0 at one point in the fourth quarter and they went for it on fourth down. Herm Edwards, where was this aggressive style of football in Kansas City? Now listen, I'll say this. I don't like when people complain that someone goes for it on fourth down when they're up big, when they're blowing out their their opponents. Uh, if if 
you if you don't want to see him convert, stop him. That's all. I will say there are some weird. I mean, it's not like he was angry that the team didn't. I don't know if they converted or not. Actually, uh, they won forty nine to seven, so obviously a big win for them. But here's the thing. Uh, I remember when I was a, a student reporter at Johnson County Community College before transferring to KU. The women's soccer coach there, I mean, they won a lot of their games with a score of 10-0, 20-0, 15-0. You get the idea. They blew out their opponents. And I remember with 30 seconds left, and they don't do stoppage time in college soccer, or at least at the junior college level. There was 30 seconds left, and one girl had the had the ball, and the game was over. They were winning 10-0. But the coach is screaming from the top of his lungs at his player, telling her to run full speed and go score, make it 11-0. Well, at that point, what what's the deal? Like, is it personal that you want to run up the scoreboard that badly? I mean, look, you never want to risk injury. Make your, your players go full speed when you're when the game's decided. But man, I mean, I've seen moments like that, and I just don't think that's a good look for a team. That you're up 10-0 in a soccer game, and you're yelling at your players to play full speed with 30 seconds to go to go score a goal. I mean, come on, you uh, you won the game. I mean, don't do anything stupid at that point. But yeah, I mean, if if someone if a team goes for it on fourth down, if a soccer team is still up 10-0, and if there's still a couple minutes left, yeah, sure, they're gonna try to put one more in the back of the net. So. Stop them if you can. Uh, never complain about wanting to do things. But again, when it's out of reach and you're being belligerent about it, I mean, that that's where it's dumb to me. That's where I draw the line. I think everyone kind of understands that. You've got to understand that. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Ray Allen set to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this week, but the story that's been brought up the most this week about him, his relationship with his 2008 teammates from the Celtics where they won the NBA Finals against the Lakers that year, and apparently it's been a very icy relationship uh, due to him leaving for Miami in 2012. Look, fans need to understand this, but kind of shocking that players would feel this way too. And I remember this was said by Steelers players when James Harrison went over to New England. Players, more than anyone else, should be understanding of when a player is going to make a move that he feels is best for him, his family, just his his current situation. Maybe the money's there. Similar when, when Derek Johnson went over to Oakland. Every single Chiefs fan was... Just, just bothered by that. Like it was the most horrible thing he could have done. I mean, he's going to a place that's that's offering him a chance to play football. There, maybe the money is be- is best offered there than anywhere else. Uh, people need to relax with that kind of thing. Uh, it kind of irritates me when fans do this, but players, I mean, players should know even better. Uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous that his former teammates in Boston have some sort of a grudge with Ray Allen because he decided to do what was best for him. And look, hopefully, he can reconnect with his teammates and they can. Let the past be the best, and generally more times than not, they can do that. Uh, it, it's been, what, a long time now? Uh, 2012, we're in 2018. So I think everyone should be able to look past that and, and just deal with the what's happening. I mean, life is too short to even be angry over stuff like that. It's gotta be. Come on. Man, I don't know what to say about KU football. Uh, Jeff Long, the new AD, says evaluation is ongoing. 
after an FCS loss to Nichols, which I've never heard of before. They were in Louisiana, I guess. Uh, boy, I, I mean, it's tough to tough to watch. It really is. Uh, I understand David Beatty being the only guy willing to take this KU job, but uh, I think it's time that they part ways with him soon. I, I just think Jeff Long's trying to see what other opportunities should we give him and who else can we get out there to come in. Firing someone after one game is not an easy thing to do. Uh, having an interim head coach in week two, never ideal. So I think they're going to let him finish out most of the season and then they start the coaching search with a couple of games remaining in the season. And we'll see what happens. Listen, Charlie Weiss got fired in week four by the Jayhawks once, or fourth game rather, uh, because of some bye weeks there. But gosh, it's it's, it's just tough to watch. By the way, uh, what was, uh, I can't remember his name, but former Chiefs running back, uh, uh, Danon Hughes, uh, what was he saying? Because after a kickoff before halftime, uh, and again, it was a kickoff. Nichols just scored. KU's getting the ball tied at 10. And David Beatty calls a timeout after the kickoff, before the offense could start its series. And Dayton Hughes is making the uh, excuse on caller commentary saying, well, it's a good way to take a timeout because it's a crucial drive before halftime and they need to figure out what to do. You had a whole defensive, well, the defense was out there to figure that out. You need to call a timeout after a kickoff? I, I just don't understand that. I really don't. That's just poor coaching. I mean, that, those are things that Herm Edwards got blasted for in Kansas City. And we've got a color analyst, a former pro running back, defending a head coach for that. Listen, I get that the broadcasters, the home broadcasters, have to swing things up for the audience a bit. But come on. You can't just lie to fans like that. You know that's a terrible timeout. Um... Uh, I, I don't know where you go with this KU football team. As a former Jayhawk, as a fan and a grad, I, I'm just depressed. I want to see this team get better. By the way, I don't follow the team closely, but I watch the games, unlike most Jayhawks. And it, it is sad to see the state of affairs, just how fast things can really change. Listen, we can disagree on certain topics. A lot of things we can disagree on. Uh, I, obviously, certain things are not disagreeable, such as violence, uh, bullying, I mean, those kinds of things. I think everyone knows what I'm trying to say here. If you are angry at Nike for using Colin Kaepernick as a spokesperson, fine, you have that right. But to burn your Nike apparel, I'm completely against that. Donate those clothes. You want to say, oh, well, well, people deserve better than to wear Nike apparel considering that they support Kaepernick. No. They don't even go there, okay? We're talking clothes. And by the way, the people who are burning clothes, these are the same people who say that they don't have enough to donate during the holiday. And listen, if people truly cannot donate during the holidays, I, I understand that. I mean, some people go through that, and maybe they're not able to. But if you make that excuse this holiday after burning your Nike apparel, shame on you. I, listen, we're not talking about the, uh, the uh, reason for players' protest. I'm not getting into that. What I'm getting into is how disappointing it is that people are bashing Nike and wanting to burn or rip up. So some guy from uh, some country music star, his his producer, I guess, ripped up a sock like he's some tough guy. You First of all, you probably use scissors to rip that up. So I'm not impressed in the first place. Uh, second of all, you, you're such a rich country singer. You can't donate them to people in need. I just think it's shameful that people are, are doing that kind of thing with clothing. I, I, I really do think it's, it's a horrible thing. 
Save your Nike clothes. Donate them now or save them for the holidays. It's not that hard. By the way, people who are bashing Nike and saying that they're going to boycott Nike because of child labor and all, we've known that for years. Those are the same people who are boy- pretending to boycott NFL games, saying uh, that, that they're boycotting games because players keep getting arrested when the real reason is the protest when this all came up, really, we've known about NFL players getting arrested for a long time. Now you want to say something about that? I don't believe it. I really don't. And by the way, I really don't like when people, and I get this is a political thing, I'm flabbergasted that people are letting a difference of a political opinion affect how they go about their life. We talked about this on the Facebook page in length. Uh, I mean, people will cancel their subscription to Netflix because the Obamas are producing something. Really? You're going to let all of Netflix go for that? Uh, Amazon, Walmart, I mean, anything that involves like the, um, the the whole deal with with Donald Trump and just everyone's difference of opinion. If Donald Trump supports, gosh, what do I say? Uh, VHS players. I can see VHS players making a comeback because of that. That's how crazy it gets sometimes with people's beliefs and people wanting to uh, wanting to change your lifestyle because of a political opinion. I, I do think it's shameful. Now, I will say this, because we can agree on one thing. And on the Facebook page, I mentioned this, and everyone actually was in agreement on this. Regardless of where you stand with Nike and Colin Kaepernick and the NFL, everyone can agree that the internet won. When Nike came out with their uh, Just Do It uh, meme for Kaepernick, people started doing this for Pat Tillman, although his wife came out and said, hey, don't use him against Colin Kaepernick. Uh, But people started using Jay Cutler and and bringing up their own funny meme. Someone made one of Bob Sutton about dropping players back into coverage. Uh, Someone made one of a SpongeBob SquarePants character which reference I, I did not know lots of NFL players Le- uh, 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 Le'Veon Bell about you know sacrificing your fantasy football fans uh, my favorite one was Thanos uh, was on there so the internet definitely won with Nike's new meme and a lot of people had uh, plenty of fun with it so even with your difference of opinion everyone can be in agreement that the internet provided a lot of fun and a lot of comedy with the memes that people made up for pop culture or other athletes. Uh, everyone had fun with it one way or another. And I wish that was the only narrative we had with this, rather than people burning up their clothes. Because I, I just think it's, it's it's shameful. One last thing I want to say about the whole burning thing. I think this all started with LeBron James when he left Cleveland the first time. Honestly, if you burn clothes today in 2018... You're only doing it for social media attention. And if you need social media attention, please reevaluate your life and read a book. Because I think it's it's embarrassing that people want to gain exposure by burning something rather than donating it. Listen, I had a lot of resent towards Larry Johnson for what he did in Kansas City. And I know he's apologized since then and everyone's forgiven him. And I have as well. I have a signed Larry Johnson jersey. I never once thought about burning it or ripping it up or anything. Maybe selling it, I'll admit that came that came across my mind, but never at any point just throwing a, a piece of shirt away. Sure, it's signed, so it's not ideal to wear, but again, wasting it, just throwing it away or burning it, never a thought once. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, so unfortunate, who don't have clothes, who would gladly take something like that. 
So I ask people again, if you, if you hate Nike, fine. Just don't burn your, your, your Nike apparel up. Go donate them. Because there are people who will gladly take them if you don't want them. Regardless of... Everyone stands with Nike. I hope that's an obvious one right there. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. First game preview of the season in our NFL 2018 season preview. Big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. I'm Farzi Vesugian. Facebook.com slash Farzi Vesugian. That's my Facebook page. Give it a like. We'll do a Facebook Live at halftime for the Chiefs and a post-game live video on Facebook. So be on Facebook. And the notification will come up if you join a little bit later. Hey, check out the Facebook. It'll be up in the archive section. But try to join us live because that's when all the conversation and all the fun takes place. And then we'll do a podcast shortly afterwards. So expect the new episode of the podcast Sunday night. Uh, no closing segments for our recap podcasts. So be aware of that as we go into the 2018 season. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. That's where a lot of my commentary will be and on, on Facebook as well during the game. So interact with me during the games, before the games, after whatever. I'll be on social media, so interact with me on there. Also, my email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the share button on iTunes and Google Play. Let your friends know about the Chiefs on podcast. Spread the word as the season officially underway. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening once again. Talk to you guys Sunday night. We'll see what happens with the Chiefs next time we speak.